Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. And tonight I have joining me, uh, Kama. Hi, this is Kama Splice. You can find me at Grammar Saves Lives at Tumblr. I have Eon. Hey, this is Eon. You can find me on Tumblr. <laughs> and my Tumblr handle is Eon Blue Negative. <laughs> Usually that's me who messes up my Tumblr handle. <laughs> okay, Whitey. Hi everyone, this is YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And Roseheart. Hi, this is Roseheart. I have no Tumblr. <laughs> We're, still work- We're still working I'm, on getting her there. Yeah. She's too, too cool for Tumblr. <laughs> too smart for she Tumblr. She is. <laughs> Why too cool? I hear so many good things, though. <laughs> you too? <laughs> <laughs> I love Tumblr. Uh, I'm Lady of Tarth and Posts on Tumblr, by the way. Uh, okay, before we go into the meat of these book chapters, I just have to announce that we are not a spoiler-free zone. We spoil everything on this podcast. So if you don't like that, get out. Okay. Um, so we're going to look at... Brienne 2 from A Feast for Crows. Um, uh, we start with At the Gates of Duskendale. There's a lot of people parked wanting to go through the gates. I put parked there because I knew Kama would love that. <laughs> so last week when I used the word commute, she took objection to it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Brienne is terribly shy, but forces herself to ask about her sister, quote unquote, who she doesn't bother to invent a name for. (laughs) Uh, And she never really does. Like she has this thought like, oh, maybe I should have thought of a name for my pretend sister. But she never really comes up with one, does she? Brienne does not have a future in undercover work (laughs) at all. Oh, poor Brie. Anyway. When the carts are finally waved through um, the open gates, Brienne is stopped. Um, the captain eyes her bat shield and tells her those arms are of ill repute. She tells him she means to get them repainted and Lux's with her. His, it just so happens his sister paints for a living. So, what um, a fortunate coincidence. Right? <laughs> lucky. Finally, a little bit of luck for Brienne. Um, so... He says, let her pass, lads. It's a wench. Inside, we see the, lots of foodstuffs and the leavings of war being sold off at very reasonable prices, uh, mostly northernly <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and she notices a lot of Lord Tar- um, Lord Tarley's own striding huntsman sigil. Brienne notices some shields being offered for pennies, but keeps riding, intending to keep the shield that Jamie had given her. I know, um, and you know what's hilarious is how she's all, oh, I should probably keep the shield that I have because it's heavy and it offers a lot of protection. <laughs> yes. And also, the shield kind of smells like Jamie. Not that that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I like how like she thinks about the pine shields and like just the other, how much better the other shields are. But she's like, no, I think I'll hold on to this one. <laughs> yeah. I, I do love that she is like thrifty enough to notice that they're they're at a good price. You know, like she's a bargain shopper, you can tell. <laughs> uh, Brienne finds Maybe that was just me. 
<laughs> well, I, I would argue against that because I've always argued that she's a bit loose with her coin. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what, it was funny because I was just recently re-listening to one of our old podcasts where we were talking about where Brienne and Jamie uh, are at Maidenpool and they go into the inn and uh, Brienne's just throwing her gold all over the place. <laughs> I don't know, maybe she's learnt something in the interim. I don't know. She, she knows the price of weaponry anyway. She knows. She that. sure does. <laughs> Um, so anyway, Brienne finds the captain's sister's home um, easily enough, and she describes the door as being gorgeously painted. Um, when Brienne shows the captain's sister her bat shield, her face goes dark, and she recounts the stories um, told to her as a girl of the bats flying out of Hall to carry away bad children. So I think, um, Eon, you kind of recapped that for us last week, right? Yes, it did. A couple times. <clears throat> I forgot again. What house is it? Loathsome? <laughs> Lost Lostin. Lostin. See, that's, um, my brain's not that great from um, the memories. Yes, uh, a mad Daniel Lawson. Lofson? Lofston. <laughs> that's how you put it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, everyone. Lofston. Okay, we got it. <laughs> That's it, we're done. We can all go home now. Good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Brienne does what Darius Tarth sigil um, when the woman asks what she wants on it. Um, But she does remember something from back home. Um, The painter tells Brienne she'll need to take a room at the inn and it'll be ready for her in the morning. The inn is called the Seven Swords, named after the Sons of Darkland, former White Cloaks. Um, I really like this line. She has this thought. Um, they were the glory of their house, and now they are a sign above an inn. Yes, I really love how historical events become names for inns in Westeros. You have the Seven Swords, you have the end of the Nilling Men, you know, the the Nilling Men. I wonder what, in the, in the future, in the future, what they'll call inns in the future after this. The Baron, the Maiden Fair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure one will just be called the table. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> That's for the whorehouse. Oh. <laughs> they specialize in large wenches. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're silly. Anyway, um, Brienne gets to the inn and she asks for a room and a bath. Brienne can't help but think of another bath. <laughs> and then there's this... Yeah. There's these great lines about, um, well, the very famous lines in our hearts, of course, of Jamie coming through the mist and he's looking half a corpse and half a god. And then she blushes at the memory and then starts scrubbing really hard to uh, call up Brenly's name. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think all of Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I think this is probably one of the iconic moments of uh, of many uh, shippers' lives when they got to this part in the book. Um, and as you're saying, she's scrubbing away as soon as she starts thinking about Jamie. It really is freaking her out. Um, and it's a really nice mirror to uh, Jamie in Harrenhal when he you know, becomes hard at the side of her naked body. And then he's telling himself, no, it's just because I've been away from Cersei too long. Right. <laughs> they're, both, they're both really concerned about what's happening. I mean, I think like for a me, if I was having a bath at one point with Jamie Lannister, you know, I'd be scrubbing. <laughs> I'm not going to say what I was just going to say. <laughs> I know. Uh, I <laughs> so it's a metaphor. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know for what, but, you know. (laughs) 
Anybody else want to add anything about this uh, bath memory? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly there is uh, some Jamie reference in there, but it's very telling the fact that she obviously feels like she's kind of betraying the memory of Renly by thinking of another man in this, that she has to force herself to think of Renly's face rather than Jamie's naked body. Yeah, and she's conscious of it. That's like the telling part, right? Like she's, right. Yeah. I kind of dig do you that. Think, do you think that she thinks she's betraying Renly, or do you think she's just really disturbed by the fact that she finds Jamie attractive? And, and Renly was sort of like a very safe option for her. Because I think we've discussed this before, Brienne sort of maybe has an inkling that there is some sort of mutual attraction going on between between the two of them, Jamie and Brienne. Whereas with Renly, presumably it was always very one-sided because obviously Renly was gay, so he wouldn't have been sort of <laughs> radiating any sort of sexual uh, <laughs> sort of overtones towards her. So I wonder if perhaps she is more concerned about the feelings that she's feeling and the fact that perhaps something could maybe eventuate at some stage and she's not really sure what to do with it, whereas Renly was a safe option? Well, I mean, there's different... I mean, obviously, there's different kinds of love and she's an idealist and if she's in love with Jamie on a different level and a different kind of love, now she's got these feelings she may not have had with Renly. Yeah, I I think that's right. idealistic guy who was the one who asked her to dance and who accepted her and all this other stuff. But, you know, it's sort of like the kind of crush you might have when you're a little girl rather than the crush you'd have when you're an older person, when you're a little I more. Think that's, I think that's spot on, Comma. I think you're right. I think that the feelings Brienne feels towards Jamie are much more sexually based than the feelings she felt for Renly. And these are, and she's still very young. She's, how old is she now? About 19 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, she's never had any romantic relationships before. This is probably an entirely new thing for her. And yeah, it's freaking her out a little bit. So she's scrubbing away. Can't get clean. Can't get clean. <laughs> Scrub harder. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh let's move on so um brian finishes her bath and then she leaves to search out the lord of the castle who's lord Riker. um she finds out that sir rufus leek was left in charge brian gives leek her letter but he can't read it and then a meister is called when he finds out it's about looking for dantos and sansa he is a bit irritated because apparently there's been many who have passed through here looking for sansa and dantos including the gold cloaks um, we get a bit of a history lesson <laughs> from this maester on the Darklings, Hollards, and the defiance of Duskendale. Um, the maester used to, her maester used to say that it was the defiance of uh, Duskendale that drove Ares mad. We are told of uh, Lady Sirala, the Mirish wife of Lord Darius. Uh, small fault called her the Lace Serpent. I kind of enjoyed this little side story as I was reading it. What would you guys think? I think when they he includes these, there's a reason he's including them. I mean, he does, well, as much padding as I think he does in other parts, I, I think they're, they're important. And there's stuff in there that I think we're supposed to unpack, if not now, you know, on a reread later on, um, when maybe this stuff comes up later. But, I mean, I think I remember reading this the first time. And and remembering, you know, before this, all we know basically about the Hollards is that Dantos is this, you know, kind of drunk. You yeah. know, he, he's just has the misfortune to piss off Joffrey on the wrong day and lucks out in that he's made a fool. But, 
you know, it's it, it, it's like one minute you're, you know, a memory some, you know, you might hear about later on. Um, all of these people who are trying to promote their house and the history, like the Lannisters, all this other stuff, you know, in another 10 years, they're just going to be another story. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> well, I mean, but I can see where you, I can see, I can see how it's they're the going that way. Right? Legend and history, you know, that's how it works. Well, I like also the, the mentions of Barristan in here as well, because we only get little uh, inklings of his character. And you're kind of getting a little bit of history of Barristan the Bold in this, uh, interspersed with Dantos. I like that yeah, part. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I like, um, like, well, she's telling the story. Um, they're talking about how for half a year they held Ares at Duskendale and that it was Barristan that was the one who brought Ares out. Um, Lord Dennis had begged for mercy when, you know, they finally got the king out and um, all the Darklings were killed, uh, as well as the Lace Serpent, and she really got some horrible treatment. Yeah, she really did. So can I just break in? Because I wanted to talk a little bit about the really heavily misogynistic overtones of this. Well, I guess the the series in general and specifically Brienne's chapters. And we get a lot of this in both of these chapters. And if you look at what happens in this story, um, so we've got Lord Dennis and we've got his wife, Lady Sarala. And essentially they're both punished for their part in this rebellion or, you know, the defiance. And what happens to Lord Dennis, I think, is that he's essentially just killed. He's decapitated, I think. So it's a very quick, clean death. Mm. Whereas Lady Sarala, um, I'm not – look, my recollection is not 100%, but I think she she basically undergoes this sort of sexual torture um, and she's she's – for a while before she's killed, yes, so it and really she's does burned show. Alive after right, that. she's burned alive, which is a really, really painful <clears throat> way to go. So you just see the discrepancy between how they deal with the men and how they deal with the women, and this is highlighted constantly throughout Brienne's chapters, specifically, and like I say, the series as a whole. Yeah, and even like the tree, the I guess the legend of the story afterwards. It's still to this day. She's yeah, it's her down Will blame well, yeah. her. There's a lot in Brienne's chapters about women in particular forgetting what their role is, what society thinks their role is. And, you know, the guy was the one off doing this stuff, but no, they blame the woman because she, you know, suppose, we don't even know if she did. That's what the legend says. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be true. I think the point is it doesn't matter to them because she's a woman. She's not neatly fitting into the little box that they want her to be in. Therefore, she must be severely punished. And she's a foreign woman. Yes, exactly. That wouldn't have helped. Yeah. Well, and if you think about what happens to, let's say, Cersei later on in this book, I mean, whether, and arguably she deserves quite a lot of what happens to her, but it's that same thing. You broke, you transgressed, you stepped out of your yeah. little box, and this is what you're going to have to endure. Exactly. It's and really a, it's like a dehumanization because you're a woman. They can sort of more easily forgive a man. And yeah, I mean, we've got the legend and it's basically, it wasn't really Lord Dennis's fault. It was his wife, his evil woman. <laughs> so, mm. anyway. Well, to be fair, we weren't there. Maybe she wasn't evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that like this stuff is happening. Brienne is the one who's we're hearing this about. You know, we're hearing this through her. 
Mm-hmm. And well, that, that, that happens a lot. And you got to wonder, are they telling these stories to her uh, sometimes? Because, no, well, I mean, like, you're not supposed to be in armor. Uh, in the next chapter, what's his name, tells her you're supposed to be in, you know, women's battles in the birthing bed. Yeah, you're Tyler. stepping yeah. out of line. That's causing me physical pain, comma. I'm sorry. I actually, I really love that idea that this is kind of, because not only are we getting stories from men, but we're also getting an introduction to Brienne. This is only our second chapter that we've been in her POV, POV, and to have her internal dialogue with herself, as well as the dialogue that she deals with with men and compare the two, I love that idea that, you know, we're seeing women put in their place, as well as Brienne, who's trying to fight out of her place, and we see that in her in her, uh, in her monologue with herself. Yeah, it's really fantastic. And not only are we getting that, we're really, in these two chapters, just these two chapters for Brienne, we are getting a huge amount of her backstory. Oh, yeah. Um, and isn't it devastating? But anyway, yes. I guess we'll get to that. And I'll, like, and I'll well, just, uh, one more thing before we move on is, and doesn't it just make us root for her all the harder? Like, we yes. Just- oh, she's a goddamn hero, you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, this chapter was like the chapter at the very, there's a, a quote from the very beginning. That made me like totally fall in love with her. Yeah, uh, how can you whole, know? It? I mean, if you, it is for me to talk to them. It's like she's just talking yeah, about she, how it was hard to speak, and because she was a really shy, she was really shy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, long years and of you know what? made her shyer. Uh, yeah, and you know what? It's not just it's it's not just that she's shy. When you look at that quote in context, everyone around her is kind of shooting her these weird glances as well, and you get this real sense throughout Brynn's chapters of just how much she actually goes through on a daily basis, how much scorn is thrown her way, and the fact that she's able to, I guess, <laughs> surmount those difficulties and just get on with things, despite the fact that it affects her, and we can tell that it does affect her from her internal monologue. She's just the best. I love her so much. Yeah. We all heart Brienne. Another thing I've really like enjoyed from her chapters is you get an eye. You're witnessing what the common people are having to deal with throughout all these POVs. They're mostly highborns, and you mm-hmm. have to, you know, yeah. get to hear about what they're up to. But it's like you really see that the common people are really suffering from this war. Right. Oh, yes. absolutely. Definitely. Good point. Okay. So uh, as we get more of this history uh, recounted, uh, the Hollards were all destroyed. Darklands were all destroyed. Even a half Darkland little boy was who had pulled the king's beard when he was captive died on the rack. That part killed me. He just he deserved it for pulling the king's beard. A little boy. Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Believe me. I've been on that other side of that coin. I get a, I even roll like a WTF Barristan, like, but, uh, and then the next line pretty much is a telling of how he saved Dantos. Uh, he had asked the king to spare Dantos. So that's how Dantos was spared through Sir Barristan, which I found interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the maester tells Brienne there is no one, um, and nothing left for Dantos at Duskendale, and he, she had best look elsewhere. Brand's mood is souring how difficult finding Sansa is going to be. We get a bit of a glimpse of a memory at this stage. And uh, when she was in King's Landing, how she had um, spoken to one of Sansa's former maids. And uh, she reveals that <clears throat> the same info that she gave to Tywin, which was that Sansa was praying in the Sept and in the God's Wood. So she tells Brienne Sansa's gone north. 
she thinks her gods are the northern ones. <clears throat> so it seems like we see a lot of this of um, Brienne kind of trailing Tywin's path. Like he's already, like it seems like all these witnesses and people she talks to, the gold cloaks or Tywin's already been there. Yeah, and it really does. It shows the sort of immense task ahead of her as well. It's sort of the, she has no idea really where Sansa could be, despite the fact that, yes, she does think about the veil, um, several times, I think. Um, so she, she does have an inkling, but just the fact that there are so many options, that there's this huge wide world that she has to search, you know, she has really no idea where she should be looking, and it really points to the futility of her task. Did, did ah. Jamie had an inkling? when he sent her out on this mission, what he was sending her out? (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, if you look at the size of Westeros, I'd say Westeros is maybe about the size of South America. Yeah. (laughs) So... I mean, good luck, Brienne. Oh. Yeah, she's fine. So it should really, it should just, <laughs> it, it should really def- just take her a couple of weeks to, to look through it, really. She should be all right. Well, on the show, yeah, but. <laughs> I heard- in, in Jamie's defense, I don't think he's that long range of a thinker. I think he's just like, you know, she's going to keep this quest. She's the one to do it. I don't think he thought, oh, yeah, sucker, you're going to be out there for years. So, so Jamie <laughs> yeah. was having. A Xerxes at that point, right? Having a what? A Xerxes moment. A Xerxes moment. <laughs> I, I, I don't think <laughs> that's an irrational, unthinking moment. Well, <laughs> I love all the Lannisters, but Jamie and Cersei have never impressed me on an intellectual level. <laughs> well, you know what? We don't have to get into a debate about it, but I, I disagree. I think Jamie actually has more intelligence than people think. Um, and I think that is displayed not only in the way that he is a good commander, but also the way that he is a good reader of people. I'm glad you bring this up because this is something that I've been noticing a lot in this, is I'm doing my reread. There's a lot in here. Everybody's got a different skill set. Everybody, There's different types of intelligence. There's emotional intelligence. There's mm-hmm. strategy. I mean, I'm not saying, okay, I have said he's dumb, but I'm not saying <laughs> That's what I was arguing against. You know, that they're stupid. They're not stupid. Cersei is not dumb. You know, occasionally, actually quite often, she's right about things. She just doesn't have that right kind of brain for some of the things she's doing. Some of these tact. people... Well, yeah, and no, some I of these think, people... Are not suited to. I mean, look at Ned. You know, Ned. (laughs) uh, No, but I mean, let me finish. If you're in the right place for you with the right skill set, you excel. Um, I don't want to skip ahead too much to chapter two, but you know, there's a a line about um, earlier in the book about certain person being a good wartime leader, or you're a good peacetime Mm -hmm. leader. And I think Jamie has skill set. I mean, he's not stupid. He do- he does have smarts, but there's certain types of intelligence that he just doesn't have. Just like there's certain types of intelligence I don't have or you don't have. I com- it's just I completely agree with you, Comma. I was really just arguing the point that you said he was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I do think too with Jamie's story. He's um. Uh, to be fair, I think he's really not exercised mental abilities that he does have um he's you know kind of just living the by the moment and i think now that you know his 
what he's known for and what he's good at is gone. He's forced to grow as a person. And I think that's what we see with his chapters. I think Jamie's first initial reaction to any information or any person is just awesome. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's move on then. Uh, Brienne thinks of what uh, family Sansa has left. um, And she also has this thought that blood calls to blood. She's mentally going through the list of options, thinking that Ari would be um, the simplest and that Lady Liza would surely welcome her niece. In her musing, she takes a wrong turn. And when she spins around to retrace her steps, she slams into a boy, quote unquote. <laughs> he seems familiar. Who could it be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he seems familiar to her, but uh, she lets him go. <clears throat> when she gets back to the Seven Swords, uh, the common room is full. A dwarf offers her his seat, and he tells her uh, he's served at a sep near Maiden Pool, but the wolves burn them out, and then the cell swords. He um, told her how he hid in a log, and then he, when they were gone, he buried his brothers, found the hidden coin that the elder brother kept stashed away, and made out on his own. Did anyone catch who this dwarf was, by the by? Do you know? Uh, well, because I looked it up. First, it, <laughs> I know it, this. It, it always bothered me because the dwarf, like, I was wondering why, out of all of Brienne's um, interactions with people, why she had an interaction with a dwarf. And um, I'm sure some of you know, but it was actually, um, his head it ends up in a box for Cersei. I wonder. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was about to say. Nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. You know, in my notes, as, as I was taking notes for this part, I started off by calling him a dwarf. Then I called him Brother Dwarf, and then it was down to Brother D, and then I just called him Brody. That can mean something. Brody. Brie I, hanging out with Brody. I was trying to remember, too, because is, is it the red leaf he was chewing? Is that what, what the dead Sour leaf. Was? Sour leaf. Sour leaf. Mm-hmm. And that's... And that. his nose, his bulbous nose, which Cersei yes. said was that, you know, Tyrion didn't have a nose, and they brought him, they brought yeah. her a nose with the so sad. With a dwarf girl's nose, yeah. So sad. Rose Hart totally nailed it. Yeah. Totally nailed that one. I looked it up, Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brienne tells the dwarf she's looking for a maid with blue eyes and auburn hair, traveling with maybe a knight or perhaps a fool. He tells her of a fool at Maiden Pool trying to purchase passage on a ship for three. Hang on. Sorry, can I just interrupt? Because I, I, I feel the need to specify every time Brienne has a Jamie thought. Oh. Okay. I can have so the way. Oh, sweet. You too? <laughs> right, I'm, I'm essentially, um, yeah. Actually, I think we were just getting to this point. Lord, I'm sorry. I think I'm bringing you forwards. Um, so he's telling her about the fool, yeah? And then uh, Brienne buys uh brody his bowl of stew and he tells her that she should eat more because she'll need her strength on the road to maiden pool which isn't far away but the road is perilous and at the mention of a road brienne thinks hey jamie and i traveled on roads (laughs) every little thing every little thing reminds her of jamie yeah yeah that definitely was coming up i just want to uh, we'll come back to it but i just want to backtrack just a little bit because I don't know if I'm being stupid, but when he's describing um, somebody looking for a passage of three, who were these three? Do you guys know? It's going to be um, Shagwell, Timian, and Zolo. Yeah, they're not yeah. good people. Yeah. No, <laughs> as we find out later, they're not good people. 
Okay, yeah. I was like, who are these three? I feel like I should know this, and I didn't. Yeah, they're it's hiding. It's not going to end well. They're kind of hiding from Lord Tarly's men because yeah. they're wanted. That's and right. He's said, he kept saying he was avoiding Tarly. Like the brave Tar- companions or whatever, or those crazy people. Yeah. yeah. I really think the brave companions were the ones that were responsible for killing all the other um, septons that were with the Brother D. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, they Brother were the ones, D. well, that hacked off Jamie's hand, right? And yeah. They were in the middle of desecrating yeah. a set when we first see them. So, yeah, it's definitely them assholes. So, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah. alert. So, Brian is on. going to go down. Yep. Brian is hunting down this supposed. Um, <laughs> Jester, <laughs> and she thinks it could be Sir Dondas, but it's really it's Jagwell, right? Right, and we're gonna like like Whitey said. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so uh, the dwarf tells her that the roads are dangerous, and that's when she has that I know, and then recalls of a time <laughs> with Jamie. <laughs> but a uh, natural segue there, Brian. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, so anyway, uh, when she's thinking of Jamie, though, I thought this part was so sweet. The dwarf like put his hand on hers and said, "You look sad. Are you okay?" So she's yeah, like, he's like, "Are you okay? Are you thinking about your sister?" And no, she's not. She's just thinking of that half a god. It's like what she thought of when she was bathing earlier, and then had to scrub away her impure thoughts. Yeah. Oh, poor Bree. Anyway, um, when he leaves the table, she thinks of what course she wants to take. Maiden Pool doesn't strike her as a desirable place for obvious reasons. It wasn't much fun the last time. And uh, as the inn begins to empty, she can hear more of the conversations happening at the other table. Um, she hears talk of Tywin's death and Joffrey's murder. A woman asks who's to rule with, until the boy King Tommen um, comes of age. Um, they throw about the name Kevin Lannister and Mace Tyrell, and then they mention Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> and when she, had enough. <laughs> she didn't need any. She didn't need another excuse. <laughs> but yeah, she um yeah she gets really bothered when they refer to him as the Kingslayer, and then I think someone calls him an oathbreaker, and Brienne just has to leave. <laughs> she shows just how sort of protective she feels about him now, and and I guess how she really truly does believe that he is an honourable man or can be an honourable man. So it really bothers her when people talk about him like this. Yeah, definitely strong emotional reactions when people yeah. are smirching his name. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, the idea that Brienne wants to protect Jamie is then reinforced when we come to the next part of the chapter, which oh, is Brienne's dream. Right. She has a nightmare, right? And um, it's mm. of, and it's of her in Renly's tent, but um, the figure who dies is not Renly, it's Jamie. Yeah, so it's, um, this is kind of my ad, like point where I'm like, come on, how can you people not know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Jamie here really is replacing Renly for Brienne in all aspects. Not only is she feeling romantic feelings towards him, but she's really, I guess, she would do anything for him, just like she would for Renly. She'd want to protect him. She'd probably die for him. And I guess we'll find out. Um, (laughs) You're telling me this podcast. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. But, yeah, I mean, it just shows, I mean... Should we should we quickly recap the dream for the people? Or? 
Um, well, I just I just wrote that it was in Renly's tent, and it's not Renly that died; it's uh, Jamie. But if there's yeah. anything important that you think I might have left out, go for it. No, not really. I mean, it's it's more. I guess, as I said, Renly or Jamie has really replaced Renly in Brienne's thoughts in every aspect. And as we, I think, Comrade and I were talking about earlier, what? Um, <laughs> no, 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 in this podcast. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, when, when Harsh much. Uh, yeah, no, uh, dude. Uh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she's really used to me saying that I'm always talking to Chicky about stuff. <laughs> she's oversensitive. Anyway, um, it's not just that Jamie's replaced Friendly, but she's feeling even stronger feelings towards Jamie. Um, and as this dream shows, I think she really fears losing him as well as failing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not. I've, I notice kind of when she um, thinks about Jamie, there's no emotion behind it. She just recalls memories that she's had on the road with him. And even though there's no, you know, she got one blush when she was thinking about him in the in the bath. But even though there's no true thoughts about her feelings towards it. I mean, she's been through a lot with Jamie, and this is a huge reminder of what she's experienced with him and what she's gone through with him versus really Renly was just uh, sort of a figurehead for her and an object of infatuation, whereas Jamie was someone real that she had um, gone through so much of really, you know, traumatic events with, and it definitely binds you together. And she's starting to remember that, and it's invading her, her dreams, even. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Can't fight your dreams. No, she's screwed. You really can't. Yeah. Okay. She's screwed. She's <laughs> so uh, in the morning, her shield is delivered, and it is beautifully done. Um, it's a, a elm, a green leaves of a tree, and a falling star. And It's uh, Dunk Shield! <laughs> dunk Shield. <laughs> Actually, like, before the release of A Feast for Crows, George R. R. Martin hinted that he was going to put a hint in in one of the POVs that he was going to have a descendant of Sir Duncan yeah. the Tall. Also, he did say that there was going to be a couple other descendants roaming around Westeros, too. I want to say there's about five, four or five descendants. And <laughs> this was the major hint that Brienne is descended from Sir Duncan the Tall. Yeah. I would say the descendant. <laughs> yeah, somehow. I have my little theories, but... I guess one day we'll find out. I think I know who. I think I know the lineage of that one as well. I think it's from Lady Lady Weber, but that's yep. just me. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, there's um, also Hodor. Hodor is um, actually, <laughs> is one of Dunk's descendants, also because there is a dream from Bran where he sees a very very tall knight in Winterfell um, holding hands with a short brown haired woman, which is old Nan. Yep. So, yeah, so Brienne and Hodor are actually cousins. Oh, dear. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, oh, does, that mean, does, that mean that I, does that mean that I can't ship them anymore? Hey, Westeros, anything is game. It's a good point. <laughs> cousins is nothing. <laughs> it's nothing, guys. So um, Brienne pays the woman what she's owed, and then she buys some food provisions for the road and heads out of town by the north gate. She passes the graves of the northern dead, a common grave beside the gate. Um, it's a rough-hewn wooden marker that says, Here lies the wolves. She stops at the sign and says a silent prayer for Catelyn, Rob, and all the dead. Bran remembers Catelyn's grief when she learned Bran and Rickon were dead. It uh, reaffirms her vows to find Sansa. She thinks, I will give up my life 
if need be, give up my honor, give up all my dreams, but I will find her. I just wanted oh, to Brienne. cry. I just wanted to <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, God. Stop it, Brienne. <laughs> Be a little bit selfish, please. Yeah. Well, it's good yeah. someone cares about Sansa because there's no one else in this story who's... Right? <laughs> I mean, ja- Jamie kind of cares from a distance, but not really. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, I, I think Brienne's caring is definitely noble. Like she's really just wants to help this poor, sweet young girl. Jamie just wants yeah. to like prove everybody else wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so she rides through a fishing village. Um, then we get she gets to a fork in the road, and it either will lead to a crack, a crack claw point, and the other to Maiden Pool. So she's got to decide which way she's going to go. It starts to rain. She finds shelter under some trees. And she realizes that she's standing beside the ruins of a castle that was called the Three Golden Crowns, a castle where Sir Dantos was most likely born. <clears throat> she moves in deeper into the rubble and looks for dry wood when she hears sounds of another horse. She's very leery and hides in the shadows. She has a delightful memory <laughs> of Humphrey Wagstaff, a man she remembers as being a proud man of 65 with a nose like a hawk and a spotted head. He sounds like a catch. Oh, amazing last name, too. <laughs> Wagstaff. Wagstaff. <laughs> Kenzian. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, so she was betrothed to this man, um, and the day they were betrothed, he warned Brienne that she would learn her proper place once they were wed. She was only 16 at the time, but found the courage to tell him she would accept chastisement from a man who could outfight her only. And God, I love this story. Like This is like oh, yeah. fish pump central. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. She got Sir Humphrey's collarbone, two ribs, and their betrothal. I love that line. Okay. I love that line. That was where I dabbed her. Go ahead, Rosa. Go ahead, you ID. No, you go ahead, Rosa. I was going to, that was where I dubbed her badass brand, and I've called her that ever since. Fuck yeah! I've got to say, this is one of the few few instances where Brienne actually stood up for herself, and she needs to do more of that. Yeah, I'm so proud of her. Can you imagine being 16 and being betrothed to a 65-year-old man? Well, this Uh, is her third betrothal, too. This is like last chance, you know, yeah. And then her dad had any of it. Her dad is pretty much like, oh, fuck it. I just... Yeah, I was just just thinking, like, what is what is someone thinking at this point? He obviously doesn't insist that Brienne marry again, so she's just a totally lost cause. Or did he care? Did he actually care about her wishes? I mean, who knows? But can we just can we just stop and talk for a sec about how? um, Because Brienne's talking about she tells Wagstaff she'll only accept chastisement from a man who could outfight her. So in the last book, we've got Jamie and Brienne when they're caught sword fucking and Jamie says you can't be chastising my wife she totally blushed too she totally did she did so you know Jamie's strong enough I think she would perhaps accept chastisement from him hell yeah I think her is a total top but okay whatever (laughs) mix it up keep things interesting (laughs) Anyway, okay, so she wonders if the rider at the road is Sir Shadrich. I hate that guy's name. She is playing out. The Mad Mouse. (laughs) She is playing out in her head how a fight between the two of them would go down. She thinks of how even Jamie tried to come at her hard straight away, like most men who underestimate her do. 
Wait, sorry, did you say that she thought about Jamie? That never happens in these chapters. <laughs> and I, this is where I really wish we had a sandwiches Jamie count. Does anyone have a Jamie count? Yes. Hard, I oh, did. Give it to us. What are we? Uh, Jamie 10, Renly 3. Wow. Yeah. By my math thing, that's more than double. <laughs> that's that's more than triple, it. actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the writer is not Sir Shadrich, but the same boy she ran into at Duskendale. Duskendale. She realizes he's stalking her. Brienne decides to follow him instead. She sneaks up behind him, and when he's stopped on the road, she gives his horse a whack. He's sent flying to the ground, and then she asks him why he is, who he is by sword point. He's finally able to stutter out Podrick Payne. She immediately feels sorry for him and asks him why he is following her and asks if she was sent by the Queen or Varys. He tells her no, that he was Tyrion's squire. She asks why he's following her. He tells her that he wants to find Sansa. Um, and he wants to find Sansa because he wants to find Tyrion. And then he has this line where he says, he left me. Oh, guys, that just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And, you know, we do get Podrick backstory in these in chapters. The next chapter. and we find out, yeah, and we find out that he was essentially, uh, I guess, abandoned. Um, I think his, was it his father died and then his mother basically took off and he was abandoned. passed along to, a, yeah, he was passed along to a relative who, um, you know, didn't treat him very well. And I think Tyrion's probably the only one who ever kind of treated Pod with any kind ah, of. Ah. You know, Kevin, my, my other boyfriend, oh, Kevin. sorry, sorry. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin did a good thing by him, that's true. I think he's, you know, the, the only one he spent a lot of time with that's ever actually shown him any kindness is Tyrion. So he's really attached to him and he's just really desperate to find him. And yeah, that line, he left me. I'm his squire, but he left me, breaks my heart. And it's, it's important too to point out with these books that Pod is young. He's like eight to ten year old boy, right? Eleven, ten, eleven. Yeah, I think he's eleven. Yeah, but he's yet another orphan of war. I mean, absolutely. You know, you're you're fine. You're doing great. And then, well, I don't think he was ever doing no, great. But, <laughs> you, know, you have a place. You have a future, maybe. And then all it takes is a couple wrong moves, and boom, you're you're out there and you're lost. Yeah. You can really just lose everything in an instant. Yeah. Totally disguised. Were you going to say something, Rose? I cut you off. Well, we uh, we skipped over the uh, second betrothal with Connington. And while we all know pretty much Connington, I think, um, I love how she kind of connects it to Pod and how Pod was having trouble saying his own name. And she recalled that memory of trying to say the words that um, Scepter, I think, Royale, is it, that told her to say yeah. when she was in front of Connington. And I just loved how that connection of the two, because it really made me feel for both of them at the time. Yeah, and you can tell she feels a sort of kinship towards mm-hmm. him. She really, she really empathizes with him, which is, it's lovely, I think. I really, I really am a big fan of the Brienne Podrick relationship. Book Brienne Podrick. <laughs> oh, you don't love the horror loving Podrick of Game of Thrones? <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't, baby. Oh, but God. yeah, and as Rosehart was mentioning, she talks about Scepter Roel, um, who we get another, in- well, we get a, I think, is this the first inkling we get of how Brienne was actually treated when she was growing up by Septa There's an well? earlier mention. Yeah, is, there is. Is she something like how slow she is? Because yes, and Stephen. to tell her she was, so of course she must be. And that right. she accepted that as fact just breaks my heart. 
Yeah, that I mean, someone got- says you're stupid. Okay, I must be stupid. I mean, yeah, it's not good. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And I think we really do learn just how emotionally abused Brienne was when she was growing up. She was left to the devices of this scepter who used to presumably constantly over a period of years tell her she's stupid, she's ugly, she's mannish, she's got no worth, no one will ever want her. It's little wonder that Brienne is the way she is. And the cunt of Westeros award goes to scepter She's <laughs> She's the cunt of Westeros, and we'll soon find out about Randall Tarly, who's the other cunt of Westeros. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned Randall Tarly, too, because, I mean, we see that she has this nervous habit of stuttering whenever she's scared or nervous, feels threatened, and she she had that happen with Saronid, and then we see it whenever she encounters... With Tarly, yeah, she's really intimidated by him. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's go into that then. So we're going to go into Brand Three now, um, and uh, she's near Maidenpool, and we see her musing if this is the spot where she and Cle- or where Cleos Fry died, and where she and Jamie had fought. Pod is with her. Wait, and- did you say Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> Putting his tail up. Okay. <laughs> is one track mine, man. <laughs> it's the, hey, hey, come on! It's not me. It's Brienne. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, Pod is with her and he calls her my lady, sir. And uh, she thinks oh. her. Pod asks what she is looking for and she thinks ghosts of Sir Jamie and how she loathed him. His taunts and his smiles. Okay. Yeah, she loathed him and she almost killed him and now she wants to fuck him. <laughs> so, um, so here, this is where we get a bit of Podrick's history, but I think Whitey summed that up nicely, so we're going to skip. Again, the- Kevin Lannister for the win. <laughs> yes, yeah, Comet yeah. just has to point that out. Kevin Lannister. I do. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm still not over it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Kevin Lannister that recognized his name as a pain, right? So he's yes, yes. for being killed, so and that's where Kevin saved Podrick. I have, to, I have a crack theory, too. <laughs> Do I'm, it. I might way off. Yeah, I love crack theories. <laughs> no, I think this is messed up. Anyway, but you can tell me. I'm- <laughs> so, um, Podrick's mother um, abandoned him at four and ran off with the singer who got her knocked up. Was it Jerry and Lannister? <laughs> <laughs> you made Jerry and Brian Adams laugh. <laughs> I don't think the timing works out, but. No, I don't think it does. <laughs> I don't think it does. I don't think it does, but I want, I, I want to believe. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, moving. Uh, so uh, we never had um, Podrick, Podrick, with all these people he's been passed along to, never had much uh, sword training. And uh, Brienne tests his skills with branches. Uh, he's okay, but he's small and weak. And she tells him if he stays with her um, to train, his hands will form blisters and his arms will be covered in bruises. Podrick takes to training well and even seems proud of his bruises and blisters. <laughs> Brienne thinks he is no squire, but she is no knight either. So they're kind of like a yeah, that's little so- duo, aren't they? I- I really love that line. It just shows that they're kind of both, I guess, outcasts and she, she identifies them. She can identify with the idea of wanting to be something that you can't. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> Pod and uh, Brienne ride up to um, uh, a woman and a man who are in a cart. Um, 
the woman won't speak to her, but she, again, is getting a lot of these weird side-eyed glances from her. So, again, going back to how people treat Brienne because of the way she looks. Yeah, she, she mentions that she looks at her like she might have looked at a two-headed calf. So she's obviously getting some really good, sort of weird, nasty glances. Right. Um, Brienne had learned um, earlier from another traveler that Tarly had rebuilt um, Maidenpool some and um, that the Hound had also been seen riding across uh, the land with hundreds of outlaws and they're raping everyone, uh, all the women they come across. Um, she warns the farmer and his wife of this little tidbit. Brienne cannot bring it in herself to like Tarly when she's thinking of him regardless of the order he may have restored. She learns Tarly's son, Dickon, is to be married and that he's only eight, maybe ten years old. <clears throat> Brienne had been betrothed at seven, we learned, to Lord Karen's younger son, a baby killed by illness at, uh, two years after the betrothal. And uh, she thinks if that had worked out, she wouldn't be where she is now. She might be at night song swaddling a child of her own and nursing another. And it's a thought that makes her a little sad, but a little relieved as well. So... <laughs> what do we think about this thought that she has? And I know there's a bit of debate about Brienne and mother. And yeah, it's a sort of a consistent. Well, not so much debate, just a thought that we have flying around fandom. Um, I think people, well, some people uh, tend to want to see Brienne. Uh, ending up with, I guess, a child of her own, which I'm not completely averse to. At the end of the story, uh, the, the fact that she thinks of. You know, it makes her feel a little bit sad to reflect that she might have been a mother, but also a little bit relieved. I think Brienne's kind of caught between two worlds. She's not truly a part of either one of them, and I think she kind of laments the life that she might have had. Um, but she also wants to be a knight. She truly does want to be a knight. But I wonder how much of that desire is because she's unable to fully embrace the life of a wife and mother. Well, there's a thing in um, one of the previous Brienne chapter, I think the previous Brienne chapter, where, you know, she talks about how she wasn't good at certain womanly skills, for want of a better mm. term. And it's like Arya in the, the first book, you know, and it doesn't, I mean, just because you're not good at the, something doesn't mean there's a part of you that would, wouldn't like to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, there's that. The other thing is, I mean, it's part of being a woman. Like, you know, we're expected to, I mean, we have these bodies and we're set up a certain way to, mm-hmm. that's our our biological function is to procreate. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. human beings are supposed to do. But it's a choice for some people. And, you know, there's, there's always a, you know, a, you know, I wish I could have done that or what would it be like? You know, it doesn't have to mean that she really wants it or, you know, I think yeah, it's no, I agree a natural yeah, it's hard. way of thinking. Yeah, I agree with you. The evolutionary point is, is, a, is a good point, I guess, as well, because we are set up as women to to I guess want to procreate uh so yeah I guess it's it's really hard to tell what Brienne truly wants to do um well think too what her husbands were I mean she's got Wagstaff which was a castle on <laughs> Connington which was um a knightly house not a noble house and her best bet was really Karen which was at age seven um but also Karen was uh a Lord Karen was served by Dunk, so you don't even know if maybe that was might be a distant relative of hers as well. She didn't really have great options for her as far as fatherly figures that would, you know, bear children with her. And Re- Reverse that. 
Her options get worse as she gets older. Yes, yes. She's yeah, eight. Well, she isn't is- shut up. She's not, you know, six feet tall or whatever. She's a little girl. You know, yeah. it starts out with a fairly decent, you know, at least he's a lord or will be a lord. And then, you know, it gradually gets worse as she goes along. It's yeah. because she's... And, and- that's why I wonder how much of the way Brienne feels about what she's doing versus what she could have been doing is grounded in the fact that she really didn't have any great options for what she could have been doing. She could have been a mother. A lot to do with why she feels the way she does. I think she's Mm. got self-respect and yeah, I'm not arguing that Brienne didn't want to be a knight. I think she she does want to be a knight. Um, I guess it's just hard. It's too hard to tell. She doesn't really reflect yeah. on it other than that one line we get, which she feels a little bit sad about yeah. <laughs> about not being you a know, mother. If she was married off to, to, well, if she was married off to that Karen kid, her life would have been a lot simpler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah would. <laughs> would she have been happy? We don't know. Would, no. We don't know anything about no. this guy. Mm-mm. Maybe he would yeah. have learned to have loved her. She would have learned to have loved We have no way of knowing. He could have been yeah. the future yeah. Joffrey. We, we got no clue. We've mused on this one long enough. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at Maiden Pool, uh, Toman's banner is flying along with Tarly's huntsman and the salmon of House Mooton. And his uh, banner is the stake and the lion. Just made note of that. Um, the farmer and his wife are assaulted at the gates by guards. Um, the woman is pulled from her cart, and the farmer husband does nothing. Brienne tells them to release her. Um, she's told to mind her mouth, and uh, she tells him she knows what Lord Tarly does to rapist. Brienne is surrounded by swords at this point, and then a man steps out, telling the sergeant Lord Tarly gelds rapist, cuts off their fingers, and sends them to the wall. This man is Hyle Hunt. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that how much of a fucking hero is Brienne? She's surrounded mm-hmm. by, I think they say, a dozen armored guards with weapons. Yep. And she, this woman, the farmer's wife, immediately being threatened with rape. This is the same woman that's been casting her these nasty glances this entire time. Not that that should make any difference. But Brienne doesn't even bat an eye. She immediately jumps in to try and save her and then it friggin' infuriates me when Hyle steps in <laughs> that the farmer then thanks Hyle and tells him that he's a true knight uh... <laughs> yeah that, that got my goat too <laughs> Brienne has chosen a difficult path this is what happens <laughs> oh god it's, yeah. it doesn't mean right no, no and I it's Westeros you know these crazy people uh, anyway yeah. um, Hunt asks Brienne if she's ever going to thank him for his help she tells him she'll thank him in a melee <laughs> yeah <laughs> the way you thanked Red Ronnet Hunt laughs she thinks of how she once thought Hunt had an honest face before she knew him better and then she makes note that he laughs well and often um, shouldn't you be watching your gate she asks him giving him the brush off and uh, he asks her if she killed Renly she tells him that she didn't and she's like putting her hand on her sword ready to cut him yes. if he calls her a liar <laughs> to cut him I just love how feisty she is towards Hyle yes. it's like she's almost like begging for him to just say something for her for her to just like kick him in the balls you know <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting you know, and I was waiting for her to kick him in the balls <laughs> 
He says he doesn't believe she did, but simply because he doesn't believe that she could have taken the Rainbow Guards herself. Uh, He asks what brings her to Maiden Pool, and she's she's looking for a man at the Stinking Goose. I thought you had no use for men, he says. Um, He tells her that he has to take her to see Tarly first. She wants to know if she's being arrested. He puts a hand on her arm and then she wrenches it away. I would thank you not to touch me. And he says, thanks at last. He said with a wry smile. What is that about? Why? What is that reaction about? And then his reaction. Thanks at last. I mean, I think that's... Go ahead, Rose. Yeah, I think that, you know, Hyla's always been portrayed, as Vic Vival called him a, a poor man's Jamie in some way. Yeah. And I, I, the, the thought is, is that perhaps he really is remorseful for the way the bet turned out to be. But he was the one that started it. And to be honest, I can't, no one can really blame Brianne for her immediate reaction to seeing him again. Oh, I think he, I agree. I think he does regret it. I think he's still an asshole, but I think <laughs> he's, he's not a, in fact, I have notes all over. I have complex characters all over my thing. I know that because he is. And yes. I like that, you know. And I think a lot of people sometimes distill him down to this horrible, awful guy. And, yeah, he he does awful, horrible things. But I think there's a good side to him, too, that does regret what he he put her through. I was definitely yeah, I getting a sense on this reread. Like, this is the first time, like, I reread this chapter. And I actually had a real sense that... I think Heil might have actually liked her. <laughs> oh, yeah. I totally think he did. Yeah, I'm I think a there's a, you know, like, maybe he was joking about it in the beginning, but as he got to know her, it's sort of like, oh, hey, this girl's not so bad. And I think he does like her. Let's be honest. If you yeah. hang out with Brienne enough, you're going to fall a little bit in love. <laughs> it just happens. It just happens, you guys. I agree. I don't consider Heil to be a villain. I think, as with most people, he's got his good side and he, he's done some some not-so-good things, just like Jamie, just like pretty much everyone, except Brienne. She's never done anything bad. <laughs> She's perfect. Anyway. She's perfect. So uh, Randall Tarley has made many improvements, Brienne's noticing, to the town. Uh, there's a lot of reconstruction going on. She notices ships in the harbor and thinks um, to take one to Gulltown, where the area is a short trip away. In the fish market, Lord Tarley is found to be dispensing justice. He's on a platform, and beside him are a gallows with ropes enough for 20 men. Four corpses are already swinging. <laughs> a man is being judged for robbing a sept. Tarly orders seven fingers be taken as punishment and makes her think of Jamie and his hand. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> a baker is accused of putting sawdust in his bread. Fifty silver stags or a lash for each coin he is short of those fifty stags. Uh, a whore is accused of giving pox to four soldiers. Her privates are ordered to be washed out with lye and then Ugh. thrown in a dungeon. So here we go with the misogyny again. We've got yes. we've got the uh, the thief who gets some fingers chopped off because he's you know been stealing. We've got the baker who put what was it sawdust in sawdust. his in his flour. Yeah, so he gets he's basically given a fine, and then because he can't pay, he gets lashes. I think and then we have lashes is significant. Let's not like yes, you know, that's because that. he had the op- he had the option of paying a fine. But what I'm talking about 
<laughs> it's the really se- severe sexual punishment that's handed out to a woman who is accused of giving a disease to Tali's soldiers. We don't actually know that she did. We have right. she I mean, for all we know, the soldiers gave her the disease. And she's Exactly. Yeah, so she's oh, yeah, essentially I mean, having having to have her vagina <laughs> washed out with lye and then she's thrown into a dungeon for God knows what. What's going to happen to her then? Uh, I have Lord Tywin Light uh, written down. Because like, <laughs> he is. He's like a beast in the worst. I mean, he's like, t- I mean, okay, it's productive. The town is being rebuilt. They're growing food. He's got stuff going on. But he's like this sort of, you know, okay. You gave uh, syphilis to my men. I don't care if you did or not. In the jail yeah. for you, you know. I mean, yeah. Look, I, I think, I think Tali's. Is, you go ahead. Come again, on. though, I think it's this this notion of he's a good leader for wartime. He is probably one of the more shit fathers in a series <laughs> of shit fathers. And God knows he has competition. And I really think, I mean, I, I think he's arguably. Uh, tying with Tywin there for that title, and that's pretty bad. I mean, he I basically... can't get over his views on women. I think no, he's a gigantic oh, no, no, no. asshole. No, I agree with you. Yes, he's helping to reconstruct Maidenpool. No, you could I even mean, say okay. that. You could even say that his. He's, okay, he's, okay, he's, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm, and I'm talking too loud, so... But, okay. Let's let one yeah, say her point, and then we'll go back to you, comma. I, I'm not saying he's a good guy. He's not a good guy. I mean, in a series where there are some really awful people. I mean, he basically told his son, you don't go to the wall, I'm going to kill you. And the only reason, I mean, I'll tell your mom it was an accident because I don't want her to cry, but, you know, you're dead. This is not a nice man. I'm not saying he is. He's not. But I think it's this notion of he's got a skill set, he's in the right place. It's, un- I mean, he's awful. I, I, okay, I, I was I'm just disagreeing I, with I, you. I, I'm not disagreeing with you either. I was just going to say that I think, yes, he's helping to reconstruct Maidenpool, and you could even say that his method of justice is more just than some, but his completely repugnant views on women and their place in society prevent me from finding any real redeeming qualities in him, not to mention, as you say, the way he treated his own child. And we do find out later, it's not that just that he likes to wash out whores' vaginas with lye, the way that he treats Brienne for not... Adhering to gender norms is disgusting. This is what I'm hearing, if I can just interject for a moment. I think Kama is agreeing that he's, you know, he's not a good dude, but... Yeah, I think we agree. I think we agree. He's reassembling some order, um, and you need men like that. And And right now, that's all they got, and he's doing the job. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Well, it's the Mussolini makes the trains run on time, you know. It's (laughs) it's not... I think what's what's coming across loud and clear in my reread of Feast is that everywhere you go is total, excuse the language, fucking chaos. And that you have no, somebody who's Get rebuilding. We don't, we don't swear <laughs> on this podcast. But, I mean, there is some, there is, and no matter who you are, these small folk are screwed. It doesn't matter who's in power, who's king, you're screwed. I mean, Look, that poor farmer's wife, she walks into town, she's going to be raped. I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's horrible. That's a good jumping point. Do you mind if we talk a little bit more about misogyny and sexism, just briefly? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done enough of that. 
no, I just, I just say not, not in this context specifically, but just as a, as an overall theme. Because as Kamal was saying, the, the farmer's wife, you know, as soon as she, she comes into the view, she's threatened to be raped. There is just so much rape. It is ubiquitous. It's commonplace. And funnily enough, the farmer that Brienne met earlier, um, they talked about his daughter being dragged off and raped. Mm-hmm. He seemed more annoyed that his ox was taken than his daughter. Yeah. Women in this world are raped constantly and for no reason, not that I'm suggesting there's ever any reason to rape a woman, just that rape is, is par for the course in Westeros yeah. and no one, except maybe Jamie apparently, bats an eye. Right. And, you know, we have Brienne here who is, the way she's derided and she's dehumanised for simply being an unattractive woman who doesn't act in a traditionally feminine way. And this is particularly well illustrated with, you know, what we've got here with the way she's treated by Randall Tarley. Um, you know, he tells her that it's her fault um, that the bet happens. He tells her that she deserves the good raping for failing to fit neatly into an, her, you know, her allocated box and that she, be, she should be back on top birthing babies. Um, the second oh, thing God. is that even if you do conform to those standards, even if you are a womanly woman, it doesn't matter. No. Look at Jane Poole. I mean, she That's was a exactly feminine right. little girl, and she has a terrible fate ahead of her because, you know. Westeros it, sucks. Yeah, for women. <laughs> All right, That's sorry, that in a nutshell. The theme of this conversation. I brought you forward a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. There's, um, so, there's just that whole. Go ahead, Eon. It's just there's that whole class system, though, going on. I mean, you do have the that common the commoner woman almost being dragged off to be be raped, and her husband is just sitting there, just yeah. cowering because I mean he can't even defend himself either. Because if he tried to defend his wife, they would have him arrested for trying to attack a guard. He killed you know? exactly, and he knows exactly. that killed. So. And that's what makes Brienne such a goddamn hero because she is willing to step in at these moments despite the fact that she... She's going to stand Yeah, yeah. I mean, despite the fact that she's surrounded by guards because, as we've learned, she's kind and she's empathetic and she's honourable despite rarely being treated to the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so yeah, we've jumped all over the damn place. <laughs> I don't even know where to <laughs> Sorry, Tar- Tarly was dispensing justice in about to talk to Brie. Uh, yeah, so anyways... <laughs> Eventually, she gets to um, have a conversation with Tarly, and um, he cuts to the chase pretty quick with her and asks if she killed Renly. And she says, no, he is judging me as he judged those others, she thinks, as he's watching her. And then he says, you let him die. She tells him it was sorcery. He tells her he should ship her back to Tarth. Brienne pulls rank at the, rank at this moment and asks Pod for Tommen's uh, scroll. The king's business, what business, he asks. And uh, this is the moment when uh, Eon mentions how she starts to stutter when she's being grilled by Tarly. Yeah. Uh, so how does that affect on people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, she just saw a whore getting her private parts washed out or ordered to get her private parts washed out. I don't blame that. Well, thankfully, she she... Martin spared us that. <laughs> yes, thankfully. So She said it, she felt like she was eight years old again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, baby. Uh, anyway, Tarly thinks she's probably, um, Tarly says he thinks she's probably gone north and Brienne blurts out, or the veil. Like, it's like she can't help herself. <laughs> um, he hands back the letter and tells her don't come to him if she looks for justice, if she gets raped. 
Uh, we've talked a lot about that, so let's keep going. <laughs> let's like before why they can start again. Let's Westeros move on. sucks. <laughs> Just say it with Westeros <laughs> sucks. <laughs> misogyny, misogyny sucks. Hyle uh, asks her about the stinking goose. Um, he says, "My lady, if you want me to show you," and she tells him, "Go back to your gate." <laughs> says it was only a game to pass the time we meant no harm he tells her that all the other participants are now dead and she wants to say good but then she has a little moment of pity still for them she recalls how Catelyn called them all the knights of summer Brienne tells Pod to take their horses to the stable and searches for the stinking goose herself and And can we just quickly say that Pod initially refers to Hyle as Sir Kyle which is a good name (laughs) (laughs) I like that uh, oh, anyway, at the Stinking Goose, there's this fat woman tending bar, and I kind of wrote this line out because I really liked it. She looked as though the gods made her out of uncooked yeah. dough. Yes. <laughs> I like that too. I really like that. That's an interesting image. <laughs> Great line. Anyway, she orders um, wine and asks about a man called Nimble Dick. Um, Brienne gives the woman a copper to nod when Nimble Dick comes in. And uh, this is, is this the end you're this... talking about, Eon, with the pubic hair floating in green? Yes! yes. I, this I is not... his favorite part! Yes. <laughs> I, 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 read I'm not nuts. I'm not, I'm not nuts, guys, okay? <laughs> well, I <laughs> You find, like, the wine has, like, the oil, it was oily on the tongue, and there was a hair floating in it, a hair as slender as my hopes of finding Santa. Sansa, she found a pubic hair in her wine glass. <laughs> I like how, I like how from a hair that's slender that we get it to pubic hair, but I think we all just, we all just assumed it was. <laughs> and I just I hope that after she found that hair, she's just she stopped drinking that wine. I don't know. She, she did it. I don't think she does. <laughs> I mean, for a man named Nimble Dick, I don't think she's really caring at this point. <laughs> she uh, anyway. Yeah, well, so. The stinking goose plays. Yeah. The stinking goose plays. Right. I mean, whenever she walks in, it like it has a smell of the privy and a, and something of the lynch yard. Okay. You know what the a lynch yard is. It's, it's like a graveyard. It smells like rotting yeah. meat. Okay. And they, where is Westerosi Health Inspectors when you need them? <laughs> that exists. <laughs> Look, Eon, if you go into an inn called the Stinking Goose, you've got to expect some pubes in your wine, okay? <laughs> for that, I hear. What is the oily sheen, though? What I don't want to know. Oil? Okay, I guys. Mean, <laughs> she had a mixed drink. She's in trouble. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting in anyway. Anyway, she's sitting there. Um, she thinks how she doesn't want to cross the narrow sea to look for Sansa, where she'll be even more of a freak um, with her grunting and gesturing, trying to <laughs> speak in, to foreigners. I have a moment of feeling so bad for her. And then she has this line that is also kind of one that makes your heart bleed. Um, it was not the scorn of the many that left her confused, but the kindness of the few. Poor yep, I'm done. I'm done with that line. Seriously. No, I mean, come on. That, if you don't feel empathy for Brienne uh, you've, at any point throughout the series, it's, you've got to feel it at this point. A cold, she's, black stone heart if you yeah, can't have empathy. She's, she's just so used to being, to being mocked and derided and treated as something less than human that, 
you know, even when people are kind to her, it seemed that people were being kind to her. She she couldn't grasp it. She didn't understand why. She thought they must have had an ulterior motive. And turns out she she's right. 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 So yeah. she's sitting there with her greasy pube wine. <laughs> <laughs> the man who played the game for her, the men who played the game for her maidenhead, um, Sir Hyle Hunt, and did, outdid them all with by giving her a beautiful book and bringing apples and carrots for her pony, as well as a blue plume for her helm. Um, he said, cutting things to make her smile. She has a type. And <laughs> she does. She tra- he trained with her. She didn't understand why she was getting all this attention in Renly's camp. Um, <clears throat> uh, she, she, at one point, she even examined herself in the mirror, and it was, you know, the same old Brienne. So and she was, that oh is the part that kills me. Because <laughs> my heart, you guys. My you're, heart. you're daring to think that he really likes you. And yeah, you look in the mirror and you know, you got to know, oh, there's no way. And that, that, yeah, it's that the, it's killed me more than part. anything because yeah. it wasn't like she knew all along. It was just a game. It's like she thought just maybe. And then as she's looking in the mirror, that, that sort of logical part of her is going, you're, you're not attractive enough for this guy. <laughs> that's, that's and the I'm part sure. that kills me. I'm sure she has the voice of Septuaroel running through her brain yep. at the same time. <sighs> so sad. Oh, my baby. Okay. It wasn't like she was the only woman there, she thinks. She recounts how Lord Tarly feasted King Renly every night, and there were tons of highborn maids and lovely ladies um, dancing about. And the more attention of these men and the, that persisted, the more frustrated and confused she gets. She learns the truth via Tarly, whose son Dickon told him of a bet. Ambrose, Bushy, and Hunt had started it. Each participant had to buy their way in, one golden dragon. The pot had grown, and it was only a matter of time before some man claimed his prize, said Tarly. Brienne is stunned. They are anointed knights, she says. This is the first time we really see her illusion of knighthood getting a little bit tarnished here. Mm. Anyway, Tarly tells her the blame is hers, and he tells her to go home. The war camp is no place for a maid. Brienne's musings are interrupted by a man entering the goose. The serving woman confirms it is Nimble Dick with a nod, like saying Nimble Dick because it makes Kama giggle. Every time I hear that name. <laughs> Brienne buys his, uh, him a drink um, for a word. She tells him, I heard you fooled a fool. For a silver stake, he tells her a fool with two girls seeking passage across the sea. For another silver stake, he tells her he sent them to a smuggler's cove. For a gold coin, he tells her of a place called Crack Claw Point. She, he shares he shares a story of a woods witch who would um, bring severed heads back to life, including <laughs> the king of Duskendale. I kind of love this story, I have to say. <laughs> The spot is called the Whispers, and he wants ten more dragons to take her there. She promises him six if they find her, quote-unquote, sister. Two if only the fool. Uh, nothing for nothing. And at one point, she snatches his wrist, and she says, Do not play me false. You'll not find me easy mean. I was like, yeah, go, Brienne. <laughs> <laughs> he tells her to meet him by the east gate, and uh, he says he needs to see a man about a horse first. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of Brienne 3. Any comments? Like, what's the, maybe about the the headless, severed head <laughs> back to life 
story. Wait, wait, I have some things to say about feminism. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not it's not separate like. heads. Huh? I, I, have, I have some horse metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we got the idea of this lady putting, I don't know, it's just, cra- it's cracky, the idea, oh yeah, I'm going to bring a guy back, to, his head back to life. Is that so well, cracky in this world? Is it? <laughs> I'm sure we're going to see it in the next Brienne chapter. It's the whispers. And it's along the cliffs. And I guess it's like the wind that hits the side of the cliff and makes like a, a whispery sound. And it's just an urban legend. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the end of the chapter so let's do acknowledgements and thank yous who's got them tonight i got them i got them we have a couple all right i do have one from from will o it says join the jb fandom at first i was skeptical of a romantic bond between jamie and brianne but this convinced me and kept me laughing all the way so, are we like Jamie wow. and Brian missionaries? Are we? We convert it somebody to be Jamie. <laughs> we're bringing we're bringing the good word of Jamie and Brian. Ladies, our work here is done. <laughs> Nailed it. Brian and Barrick. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. <laughs> Real. Hang on, I'm still on the Brian Hodor ship. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Have you heard the good word? <laughs> have you heard the good word of table sex because if you haven't let me tell it to you that was very uh, convincing and authentic I can tell you're in the yeah, bible awesome. yeah. <laughs> alright All right. next one is from Corrosion off of iTunes it says good podcasting about the game of thrones funny and informative podcast about a book slash show I learned a whole lot. Would recommend to anyone who likes book slash shows. <laughs> Ocean, that was lovely. We do have one from Stella from the JB board. Um, she says, I was listening to the new episode today. It was fun and insightful as usual. The beard envy and Uncle Daddy parts were hilarious. <laughs> and it made me read some parts again, which was nice. It's always a pleasure to get lost in the world of A Song of Vice and Fire with you ladies. Smiley face. And let's see. I have like just one little one. It just says, Hi all, I just found out found this podcast and I'm still catching up and I love every second from Math Camel on Tumblr. Math Camel. It's such a great name. It is, isn't it? I don't know why. Because camels do very good math. I I like it. I'm officially a fan of that name. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. That's all of them, right? That is it. Okay. I would like to say thank you to to Sandwiches and Comma for the last episode. I love that one. Oh, I didn't write in because that'd be weird. Really so here it is. <laughs> that was her. Yeah, official guys, Come on, Rose. I really you write a lot more than that. You I usually do. <laughs> There's comma for the love. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to send her a note. Well, thank you to you to you all for being the panel tonight. Appreciate it. It was uh, was it so fresh and so feisty tonight? <laughs> 
it was pretty feisty to that. I loved it. I really did. <laughs> I think I got on my soapbox again. Sorry. That turns me on. Yeah. <laughs> If you would like to get in on some of this, I uh, can't imagine you wouldn't. You can. Who wouldn't? At you should. Email. Uh, we're at close the door and at gmail.com. You can also reach us on door and come here.tumblr.com. Um, we are also at pretty active on the Jamie and Brianne boards at jamiebrianne.com. So you can leave us a note there as well. Um, remember, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh oh. Australians, <laughs> I'm looking at you, and I am. Guys, come on, my fellow countrymen, give, give us a bone. <laughs> Your countrymen, Whitey, please. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> she apologizes for all of Australia. <laughs> I apologize. You should, man. You should. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. So, thank you again. I love you all. Have a good day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Cock. Cock. Thank you. Bye. Cock. Cock. <laughs> Cock. <laughs>